1: Hello and welcome to episode 127. Today we will conclude the interview with Mark von Raymanon. He is a future tech strategist who thinks about how technology changes organizations, society, and the metaverse. He has a PhD in management from the University of Technology, Sydney, and is the founder of the Digital Futures Institute, which focuses on ensuring a fair digital future for everyone. He is the publisher of the F of X equals E to the X newsletter, read by thousands of executives on the future of work and the organization of tomorrow, and is also the author of the book Step Into the Metaverse, How the Immersive Internet Will Unlock a Trillion Dollar Social Economy. Last week, we talked about what the metaverse, or metaverses, is, which is one of those new concepts that at the beginning sounds like it might be some sort of overblown fad, right? Or at least you can't tell it isn't. You think, is this just a concoction of marketing executives trying to create buzz? But of course, by the time you find out that something like that really is a big new thing, you've missed a chance to get in on the ground floor. The fact that Mark Zuckerberg renamed Facebook to Meta and went all in on the Metaverse suggests that he at least thinks it's not a fad. So Mark and I were talking about this last week. Mark von Reimenom, and I that is, not Zuckerberg. And we talked about the definition of the metaverse and how you might experience it now. So let's get back to the interview where Mark was just talking about the size of the predicted economic impact of the metaverse. And let me, for perhaps sake of devil's advocate position, but push back on part of that, because I've been wanting to do this for a while and looking for the business case. Now, you've outlined one that is fairly compelling, which is the getting together enhancing the quality of meetings. And I should say here that when I'm considering, and we can talk more about the uses of the metaverse and uh, VR in gaming and perhaps advertising, there's no question about all of the things that can be done in there. But I'm looking at what I need to do to make money, what I get paid for every day. That's sitting down, talking with people a lot, but creating things digitally often and sometimes some configuration and even some coding. Okay, and a lot of Office productivity tools. And what I've been wanting for so long is a Metaverse or headset-enabled version of Microsoft Office so that I can use a lot more of bandwidth going in and coming out of my body to create the things that I need to do anyway. And it's frustrated me no end that that doesn't seem to exist. Is it going to?
0: Well, if you mean that you need five screens in front of you instead of one or two, that already exists. Mm-hmm. You can use virtual reality to have 10 screens in front of you if you want, 20 screens. Something sure, really better.
1: but they're just doing the same thing I' going to interact with the keyboard and the mouse. I can't start moving things with 10 fingers in 3D yeah. space and doing the kind of things like I saw Tom Cruise doing in Minority Report with the virtual screen. You know, I want that. I want the sort of thing that I saw even before <laughs> that in... With Michael Douglas in Disclosure, where he walked around the giant sort of cathedral that was in VR and pulled out files that were stored virtually in rooms. I should at least be able to have that. I don't have that. Is that in the works?
0: (laughs) Be patient. (laughs) You know, it's when the iPhone 3G was launched and the first Apple App Store appeared. Mm -hmm. People created apps that allow you to drink beer with your iPhone, play the flute on your iPhone by (laughs) blowing into it. We are at that stage Mm. and literally at that stage. uh, No one could envision the kind of apps that we have today that monitor your health, that help you travel around the world and whatever other fantastic apps we have today. But that's 2D. So now we are at that stage. So give it 10 years, I mean, because you know, everything goes faster because of the exponential mm-hmm. the exponentiality, because everything is converging, we'll have applications that allow you to do that. But we are just simply not there. Humans tend to overestimate the short term and underestimate the long term. And mm-hmm. I think this is particularly the case when we talk about the metaverse. Yeah? Everyone said, you know, oh yeah, but with the metaverse is a fad because I can't do that. Just what you just mentioned. Mm. But just be patient. You know, it takes time to develop this stuff. And humans are super creative. So we'll come up with the most amazing type of technology that we can't even envision, that we can't even think of, that we'll have. It will have a system that's probably much better than what you just suggested. Because if hundred million people put their minds together to start working in this 3D immersive space, we'll get awesome stuff. It's going to be a wild ride, the metaverse. But we're not there, you know? We have <laughs> well, to be
1: patient. <laughs> thanks for listening to my my rant. I had to get it out <laughs> of my system. So let's pivot now to AI, because the potential for AI in the metaverse seems to be huge. AI is currently performing things where it interacts with us already, just through a limited modes of expression. But in the metaverse, that could be much, much greater. Where might we expect to see AI showing up in the metaverse in the ways that it would interact with us?
0: Absolutely everywhere. Because in the end, AI will enable the metaverse to be as seamless as the real world, to be able to interact with that. Without AI, it's not possible to stream mocap data, compress it, decompress it, encrypt it, all this kind of stuff. It's a very, very, very small, small thing that could happened. Without AI, it's not possible that I can speak Dutch with you and you can speak English and we can have a normal conversation. Without AI, it's not possible to stream hyper-realistic volumetric data across the globe. AI will be everywhere and it will be anything. And, you know, if we have the metaphors, will just be there. And how you interact with the metaverse, it can be through a computer, can be through a phone. I think the most obvious way to interact with the metaverse will be through either a smart contact lenses or with an XR glasses. And that can be both VR and AR in a very, very sleek, slim format. And that's where we're heading to. But it's all driven by AI. AI hmm. will be the foundation of everything. And how we access that metaverse, how we access that AI, that's just a channel in order to interact with it. Hmm. But yeah, AI will be absolutely everything.
1: So according to Hollywood, the way AI would show up in the metaverse or something like it would be human-like characters that I would interact with there, you know, think Tron or the Matrix, perhaps, but that I would meet them there, that they would be like any other player in the metaverse. Is that one of the ways that that could show up?
0: 100%. Let's say an example that you want to buy clothes, physical clothes, or maybe digital clothes for your avatar, mm. and you go to an immersive virtual reality store where you have your avatar, which has the same measures as your physical body, and you can try out different clothes. And these are then, and they look like how you would move them and how they would move in the real world. That's AI. Mm. That's already AI in its first place. You can see it in different weather conditions to see how it would look on your body. That's AI. The fact that you might be assisted by a character, which is AI, that tells you well, are you're wearing these blue uh, jeans, but maybe you want to try out the gray jeans you know, um, because that might look good on you with whatever, you know? And that can be just purely driven by AI. There's, there's um, Obviously, probably the, the more luxury shops will have physical, like a real person, but not an AI because the AI is obviously cheaper. But maybe AI will become better at that, uh, providing the recommendation of what to wear and how to dress. And mm. then it might be the other way around because it's more expensive to develop really good AI. I don't know. These, these are the kind of things that keep me thinking. And... So this is a very small example of where AI will be within the metaverse. But yeah, as you said, it will be everywhere.
1: Great examples. Now that opens up then some issues of privacy, transparency, accountability. To take a small example, how do I know that I'm talking to a person or an AI?
0: Very, very, very good point. If we think that the deep fakes we know today are worrisome, think twice and think about a deep fake in the future. Yeah, I mentioned earlier, I'm building a digital tool of myself that looks like me, hopefully at some point talks like me and has mind, body of knowledge and moves like me. That's what I'm trying to, mm-hmm. to do. It's ridiculously difficult at the moment, but that's what I'm trying to do. If I can do that of myself, anyone can do it of me mm-hmm. because my images are online, my voice is online, you have my voice now, your listeners have my voice, all my content is online. So it's not that difficult to mimic that. Now, if it happens to me, it would be annoying, but yeah, it would be not disastrous. But if this would be done on the CEO of a large company or the Prime Minister of a country, we have a problem. And people are gullible, so they might think that if someone looks like the CEO, sounds like the CEO, talks like the CEO, moves like the CEO, it is probably the CEO, mm. which it might not be the case. And then, of course, we can counter that by connecting it to like NFTs, yeah, non-fungible tokens that are bound. To us, but mm-hmm. then my wallet might get hacked, which happens all the time. So then my NFT ends up in the hand of the hackers. So then we can, to counter that, we can connect it to my body temperature, my biometrics, my heart rhythm, my, you know, the way I move, so that it is actually being controlled by me. But then if we're going to stream my heart rhythm data and my biometrics and it's going to be stored by Facebook, mm-hmm. then Facebook has that data and, you know, companies get hacked all the time. So then that information gets hacked and gets on the street. And then we're back to square one. <laughs> so it um, shows you what kind of challenge we have here. Of once we end up, it will be a race to the bottom where hackers will try to build AI to create Hyper realistic deepfakes that are very, very difficult to, to distinguish, that are impossible to distinguish with our eyes, but might be, be able to distinguish with AI. And then it will be a race to the bottom of who mm. can get the best AI to either create the deepfakes or detect the deepfakes. Because there's just, for hackers, there's just too much to win. And for non hackers, there's just too much to lose. So we'll have you know AI fighting AI to sort of, um, yeah, uh, to see who wins.
1: It's sounding a little scary, to be honest. Would it confer some responsibility on the hosting platform to do something like, let's uh, say, Twitter does now, which will tag a post saying this is perpetuating a lie about COVID-19? Would your metaverse or this metaverse put a little thing over an imposter's head saying not really Mark von Rainmann?
0: Um Yeah, it could be. But how are they going to know that?
1: Well, through the yeah. NFTs. They would know. Yeah, but
0: they might not know if my wallet has been hacked, and I don't know that my wallet has been hacked. Yeah. Uh, you have hacked my wallet yes. and you are controlling my NFT and therefore my avatar and I don't know that because I'm still asleep, you know, right. then you can just be me in the metaverse.
1: Well, that's where it would break down. That would be a problem.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At some point, we'll I wake up and say, oh, wait, my wallet has been hacked and then you know, if the systems are in place then I can contact the metaverse platform or yeah. someone, which generally is generally not the case either, and I can say, I can prove, look, I, my NFT has been well, I hacked, my, my avatar is being misused and then we can add that Thing, but then the damage might already have been done, and you know it happens all the time. You know, Elon Musk or any other celebrities are being mm. copied on Twitter all the time, giving away free Bitcoin all the time, and people fall for it all the time. Mm. And you know, it's at the other that day I was watching a YouTube video, someone pointed out to me, and it was just a complete. Fake, And it was saying it was a webinar which was with Elon Musk and Jack Dorsey and two other celebrities. It was a real webinar that had been broadcasted sometime before. Mm. And they had repurposed that webinar, put it across a really quite looking good screen that said, yeah, we're giving away free Bitcoin. And, you know, it had constantly rolling of images, wallet addresses where people would put money into and get money back. Mm. And just like two seconds of investigation noticed, I noticed that it was hosted in Russia, which is like the simplest thing to check. And I reported that, but it took another four hours or so, or five hours before YouTube eventually took it down. I'm not sure if that was because of me or that like a lot of people reported it. But I don't know how many people fell for that because there were a lot of like thousands of people listening to it. Hmm. Um, And I have no idea how many people fell for it and actually transferred money. Mm. So it takes a lot of time before these kind of things are resolved.
1: Well, let's shift to some of the more optimistic positive uses then. You talked about creating a digital twin. What does it do right now and what do you want it to do in the future?
0: So at the moment, I'm creating my metahuman. so So that, that is a hyper-realistic version of me and visually. And I'm going to use that to record my podcast, my next season of my podcast. So instead of having my physical me, will talking to uh, my avatar. But that's nothing really new. That a lot of people already do this kind of stuff. I just use a copy of myself.
1: Sorry, I didn't want to clarify here: when the copy of yourself is delivering the podcast, are you animating it like a puppet in this case, or is it? Yeah. Okay.
0: I used uh, tools to do the mocap, so the motion capture right. of my face and my movement and my arms. So I sort of direct it.
1: Do you foresee your digital twin at some point being able to go off and do stuff without you?
0: Hundred percent. What would that be like? Well, it would be that I want to develop that as part of my digital futures institute, that you can have a conversation with me as a business person and you want to ask a question about how AI is going to affect the metaverse for your retail business. Hmm. And you hop on a poll with me and you ask that question and my digital twin gives a very detailed answer to that that can be useful to you. That's where I want to go to.
1: Wow. And so there's some AI coming in there because the AI has got to learn how to give the same answers that you do.
0: Yeah, 100%. So obviously we have the different language models, uh, GPT-3 and you know all the other models that are coming probably in the years to come as well. Mm. So you have a lot of that kind of AI involved in it because you need to have a naturally looking conversation right. with me. But it needs to be a conversation about the topics and the knowledge that I have. It can't just start asking questions about, I don't know, space, because I don't know anything about space. And oh. that sort of makes it tricky. Yeah, I can connect GPT-3 to my meta-human and you can have conversations with it, but that's you know, quite superficial. But it doesn't have the expertise and the knowledge that I have. And I want to merge those two, and that's really difficult.
1: Have you done any experimenting in that space yet with anything like large language models or other AI?
0: Well, I'm looking into the large language models to see how I can fine-tune it with my knowledge. And obviously, Bori is already trained with my knowledge, because my knowledge is publicly available on the internet, and these large language models are trained, all, all the available content mm-hmm. online. But how can we move it that it sort of yeah, mimics me? It yeah, is difficult.
1: You mentioned in your book the idea of what you called anonymous accountability, can you explain what that is, how it works?
0: Yes, so anonymous accountability comes from my conviction that we need a different system online because there are too many problems online, among other with bots and trolls and that with fake reviews with you know all the misinformation, all the hate speech, all the problems online. so it comes from the conviction that we should be responsible and be held accountable for whatever we do online just as we are accountable in real life for whatever we do online. So if I go onto a public square and I scream at people and I shout all kinds of, of crap, I'll probably be either arrested or I'll be you know, asked to stop or I'll, you know, I'll be filmed and people will know who I am. And I think that's fine. People on the internet have a perceived idea of being untouchable and just being able to scream anything you want. You know, a good example is, you know, I had a review of my book, which uh, a couple of years ago, which was like terrible and like, it had nothing to do with my book. It was really just to talk me down or whatsoever. I'm mm-hmm. so I found the person through LinkedIn, sent him an email and he was like, oh, I'm so sorry. And I didn't mean that. And he, he took it away. And so... So if we have accountability, I think we can solve a lot of your problems. Now, obviously, privacy is a human right. So if we have accountability without privacy, I think we'll live in a dystopian society as well, because we need to be able to have to be able to say things anonymously. And that's where, you know, anonymous accountability sort of merges the two. And it uses zero knowledge proofs, decentralized technologies to allow you to build a reputation, even if you're anonymous. And I think that once we have a system like that, where you say, okay, this person, I don't know who this person is, I have no idea, but I see that this person has a reputation of X across 10, 20, 100 platforms. That's enough for me to know. Yeah, you, know, mm. you can create a new account whenever you want it, but if it's connected to your base account, you can still interact anonymously at any one point. You can still open as many new accounts as you want. But if I see that you have a reputation of, let's say, twenty percent across a thousand platforms, you know that might mean something. And then it's mm. up to me if I want to do something about that or not. If I say, okay, I don't care, you know, you know that that's also that's also fine. Or if I see this person has a reputation of ninety on twelve platforms. Well, this person looks quite reputable. I have no idea who this person is, where this person is from, or maybe if it's not a person but a thing, mm. but I know that I sort of can probably trust this person. Mm. And that's where anonymous accountability comes from. And it's, it's from a technical perspective, very difficult to achieve. And I've tried pursuing this in a previous startup and dealt with that. But I believe that if we are able to create some kind of system like that, it would be very beneficial to society.
1: What are some of the most common misconceptions that people have about metaverses?
0: Well, I think what I mentioned at the start, I think, you know, people think that a metaverse equals a virtual reality, which is not the case. Virtual reality is just a channel to enter the metaverse. People think that a metaverse equals Web3, which is not the case. Web3 is an infrastructure technology that we use, and the metaverse can and I think should be built on Web3, but doesn't have to be built on Web3. We mm. can perfectly build the Metaverse using Web2 technology. And there's absolutely no need for Web3. People think that the Metaverse equals gaming, which is also not true. You know, mm. gaming is important for the Metaverse. And I guess Brian Gill mentioned that. He said that, you know, Web2 was developed by developers and programmers, and the Metaverse will be developed by game designers. Mm-hmm. I sort of agree with that because it's more intuitive. It's more 3D. So game-like approaches are very, very important. But it's not gaming. Uh, Roblox and Fortnite is not the Metaverse. It's just a virtual experience that is part of an early version of the metaverse. I think these are sort of the three main misconceptions. And I think maybe the fourth is the metaverse is a fad. And mm. the metaverse is a hype. It's a bubble that's about to burst. I disagree with that either. I mean, the internet bubble burst, but mm. then 20 years later, the internet is everywhere and it's worth tens of trillions of dollars. So did the bubble really burst? So that's sort of how I look at it. And the metaverse is exciting, but it's early days.
1: I believe you have a newsletter, something called FX equals E to the X on the future of work and the organization of tomorrow. Does that get into the metaverse? Should people look there for more information from you?
0: 100%. So the FX equals E to the power X is the exponential function, which I thought was a bit of a nerdy joke. uh, And and to comment a newsletter (laughs) like that, because I think exponentially and I cover within this newsletter things that have to do with digital technologies. Mm -hmm. I write a long, very long article every week on various topics, which are part of the newsletter. And yeah, that's sort of what I do.
1: What sort of interest are you seeing in the metaverse now from forward-looking companies that are trying to Get an edge on the competition. How are they thinking that they might do that?
0: Well, they are exploring what the metaverse is and how they can be part of the metaverse. And you know, you see companies opening shop, up shop in Decentraland or in the Sandbox, mm-hmm. and you know, do other kind of things, which is really good because it helps them to understand what the metaverse is. Even though these platforms are, you know, very version zero point one of the metaverse, it helps organizations understand mm. what the metaverse will be and how it requires a different approach. To dealing with your customers
1: will there be a land grab or a gold rush similar to the uh, internet and domain names at some point
0: uh, i hope not i hold a very contrarian view on digital real estate and i think it's nonsense to spend millions of dollars on uh, virtual real estate which is it's a, an artificial construct where we artificially limit ourselves to a, a grid square you approach i think it doesn't make sense at all in the metaverse, we do laws of physics don't apply, so having a grid-like approach with artificial scarcity doesn't make sense. I understand it from a, from a startup perspective to raise money, but from a business perspective, I don't understand it very mm. much.
1: <laughs> but it does, I think, convey how competitive this space is going to be with a lot of businesses trying to establish monopolies or other advantages as this explodes. Well, thank you for your time here. And perhaps you can tell our listeners how they can get your book and where they can find out more about you and follow what you're doing.
0: thanks, Peter, for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation. And so my books are available on Amazon. So my fourth book is called Step Into the Metaverse. I actually just launched a podcast because I did about 100 in-depth interviews with the stakeholders building the metaverse. And I took the best interviews and turned them into a podcast. So this is launching this week where it's called Step Into the Metaverse podcast. And you can find it on the various channels and my website, thedigitalspeaker.com, where you find all my content freely available to anyone.
1: Oh, fantastic. It's been a a real pleasure having you on the show, Mark.
0: Thanks for having me, Peter. I really appreciate it.
1: That's the end of the interview. Interesting that we again visited this idea of the digital clone of yourself, which guests of the show have been talking about since the very first interview with Taiwanese Digital Minister Audrey Tang. I feel a lot less naive about the metaverse now and better able to judge how it's going to impact me and what I might want to do in that space. There's a link to Mark's book in the transcript. In today's news ripped from the headlines about AI, a robotic finger covered with artificial skin tissue cultured from living cells has been successfully developed by a group of scientists led by Shoji Takayuchi, a University of Tokyo professor in machine engineering. I know this conjures up all kinds of visions of someone around a operating table yelling, it's alive, but bear with me the skin can be regenerated if damaged. So this could lead to one of those endearing, and hitherto almost impossible, tropes of science fiction, the development of robots whose skin has a similar texture to that of humans. The robot finger is about one centimeter in diameter and about five centimeters long. So small start, but from such things are great progress made. Its surface is covered with cells cultured from human skin, the cultured skin is 1.5mm thick, strong enough that it won't break even if the finger inside is bent or stretched at any of its three joints, which is a pretty good idea because fingers are usually used in that kind of way. If the surface is cut or damaged, the skin can repair itself by having a collagen sheet stuck to it and being immersed in culture solution. The skin is not for long-term use for the time being because it has no blood vessels to supply it with nutrition. So this is not going to lead to Westworld, okay, with robots bleeding all over the place when they get shot. Quote, we'd like to upgrade it by adding nerves and blood vessels in the future, Takeuchi said, so maybe some point in the future we will get Westworld. Next week, I'll be talking with Jonathan Bowen, Emeritus Professor at London South Bank University and co-author of The Turing Guide which is the most complete book about Alan Turing that I've yet found. I sought out Jonathan specifically for his knowledge about Turing's contribution to humanity, which was virtually unknown for years, even when I was a computer science undergrad at Cambridge, we had little idea of the extent of his World War II work, and which I suspect is still greatly understated. Jonathan will be here to set us straight next week on AI and You. Until then, remember... No matter how much computers learn how to do, it's how we come together as humans that matters.
0: That's all for this episode of AI and You. Please leave a rating and comment and share with your friends. Get the book, Artificial Intelligence and You, and see more videos and articles at AIandyou.net. That's A-I-A-N-D-Y-O-U dot net, where you can also send us your questions